Man, what a fun morning already. What a fun morning being in the house of God. I love it that some mornings we could just come in and like last week and the past couple of weeks, you're coming in and just the weight of his glory and the weight of his spirit is so heavy. But then some mornings you just come in and it's just a free, just a, a liberty, just a fun, just relaxed. You just no worries, no cares. And God always sets us up. I don't know how he does it, but he always sets us up. Pastor Carlos having a little bit of fun this morning with birthdays and just being more relaxed. Everybody just being a faster song going into going into the message, things like that. Just God sets us up. The Lord has been dealing with me, and I tell you guys every time I get up here and, and speak or teach or um, talk or, or whatever you want to call what, I, what I'm about to do, um, I've always told you that he never gives me something to give to you guys that he's never given me for myself. And in some ways, I, I dislike that. I, I don't want to say hate because, like, pastor has words that Sister Teresa doesn't let him say. My wife does not let us say the word hate in our house. Hate does not exist. There's strong dislikes, um, but there's, you don't hate anything. But I really hate sometimes how God does that to me. Like, I can never just get up here and preach to you guys and, like, give you guys something. And it's always me having to open up, be transparent, and, like, let you into the bad stuff of my life. You know what I'm saying? And I've been in a place where God has been dealing with me over the past probably two or three months, two or three months, over over this topic that I want to share with you guys. And I, the media team asked me, hey, what are you going to title your sermon? And I really can't title it much of anything. The Bible talks about joy unspeakable. Because joy is something hard to describe. And I want to talk about joy. The only thing I could possibly title is I can't find my keys. And the key is joy. I can't find my keys. And the key is joy. If you, if you want to open up the Bible, your Bibles this morning, um, or your Bible app, whatever you have, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4, Paul, writing to the church of Philippi in a letter, says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. He says, as simple as that, rejoice in the Lord always. And if that wasn't enough, he repeated himself just to make sure he was clear. And again I say, rejoice. Did you ever, have you ever found something that you did not realize that you were missing? Did you ever come across something and you didn't even realize that it was missing? Or you forgot it was missing? Or have you ever realized that something was missing, but you're not sure exactly what's missing? You just know there's something missing. A couple of weeks ago, we had rented one of these big old construction dumpsters and had it delivered to the house. Uh, because we have like, Nicole and I had 18 years worth of stuff shoved into a shed that when you open up the shed door, you couldn't even step into the shed. And when you open up the door, you had to have like the kid you didn't like, the kid you don't like the most, stand in front of the door just in case everything falls out. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm the only one. Okay. Anyway, so like it was just so stuff full of stuff. So literally we had to start taking one box or one item out of the shed at a time, keep it or toss it. The rule was, if we have not used it in at least four years, 
it goes automatically in the dumpster, sight unseen. If we think we've used it or we want to check it out, we'll set it to the side and then we'll go back and use the same rule, go to two years, one year, and just get rid of everything. 1,800 pounds worth of junk out of our shed put in this dumpster. So much so to where, like, you could literally go and walk the walls of my shed now and see, like, ceiling. The shed has a floor. I didn't even know the shed had a floor in it. But all this stuff, we, we found so much stuff that I didn't even know was missing. The Bible I am preaching out of, actually, this morning is a Bible that it says, presented to Daryl Jefferson Bailey, dad, mom, and Kenny, on May 14, 1991 my seventh birthday. Now, I knew I had this Bible. I, I mean, I knew I had the Bible. I recognized the Bible. I knew exactly what it was. I thought the Bible was either lost, I had left it at a church that I had preached at before, or yeah, I didn't even know the, know the Bible was missing. But it was missing. You see, the church has something missing that sometimes I think that we forget that it's missing. And that thing is joy. And then, and then I ask you the question, have you ever realized something's missing, but you're not sure what's missing? Have you ever walked out of the house and you just know, like, I got to go to work. Is it my badge? No, I've got my badge on me. Is it my wallet? No, I've got my, my wallet. My phone? No, I've got my wallet. I've got my phone. But you just feel like something's missing and you don't know what it is. Did that last week. I get to the car. I usually leave my keys in the car. Shouldn't tell you that. It's online now. Whoops. I don't leave my keys in the car anymore. Anyway. We have these fancy, you know, cars now that, like, you push the button, you keep the keys in the car, and you have to hit a code to get in the car and unlock it. It's just crazy. Not as fancy as an electric Cadillac, but it's fancy nonetheless. I love you, brother. But it's fancy nonetheless. And anyway, so I usually keep, so I get to the car, and my car won't start. So I start looking. Oh, my keys, no, my keys aren't here. I didn't know my keys were missing, but apparently my keys are missing. So I have to go back in the house, look all throughout the house because I lit, didn't leave my keys where I usually leave my keys. How many do that? You know, you put your keys down where you won't like, where you can find them and they're not where you can find them. Finally, finally, but I didn't know my keys were missing, but they were missing. You see, the church is like that. We're looking for something in the church. There's something missing out of, out of our services as Christians. There's something missing from our life. And we're not sure what it is. The thing that is missing is our joy. Some of the most miserable people on this planet are people that have been saved for a long time. Whoa, quiet. Have you ever met, like, some people don't look around and, like, yeah, I know that person, but, and definitely don't look over at your spouse, but have you met somebody who is just, they're saved, but they're miserably saved? And it seems like, more than ever before, we've lost this. And I don't know if we've just gotten so spiritual that we think we have to be so, like, deep and so, like, theologically sound and so uptight. But if I was not saved by looking at some people in the, not just not Mount Zion, but just Christians today, I don't know that I would want any of it. Because we've lost our joy. Can I teach just for a minute before I start preaching? I'm just going to teach. We're coming out of the text of, 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 the, of one of the letters to the church of Philippi in Philippians. Paul is writing this, and it has been ten, at least 10 years since Paul had first visited the church of Philippi. So he's writing this to a group of believers. 
He's writing this to a group of Christians that have somehow found themselves under his ministry at one point or time. When Paul was writing this passage, he was either in prison, and they're not sure which time he was in prison, or he knew that there was a warrant or a bounty out for his arrest, and it was so serious. As, as you read through, uh, if you read through Philippians, and I encourage you to do that this week, all of a sudden he like knew that death was probably going to be imminent. In other words, there's been so many others die that he knows that if he goes back to jail or if his court case or his imprisonment is not ended quickly, most likely he's probably going to die for the faith. But yet Paul writes to encourage the church of Philippi in A, Christ's example of humility, in Philippians uh, verse 2, in verse 5, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse in, in, in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he talks about having God's humility, he, he, an exhortation to holiness. And then all throughout uh, the, the letter in Philippians, he, he talks about restoring or reminding them to rejoice or have joy. I think I counted, what was it? 11 times in, in, in just these four, cha- in, in these four, um, in these four chapters, he mentions Rejoicing. Five times he mentions joy. Sixteen times in four short chapters he says rejoice or have joy. Did you know in in the whole Bible as a whole, joy or rejoice or rejoicing is mentioned 450 times in the Bible? Where's our joy? Well, I'm not happy. Well, see, that's where our problem is, and that's where I want to get to. Happiness does not equal joy. And joy does not equal happiness. You see, we have created this thing that my emotions dictate my joy. You see, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. If you go back to Galatians and you go back to Children's Church, joy is one of the top fruits of the Spirit. You have what? Love and then joy. It's one of the first fruits mentioned. Joy. You see, you have joy because that's who you are. A tree, an orange tree, is an orange tree because it has oranges, and it has oranges because it's a orange tree. You see, you have joy because you are a joy tree. And as a joy tree, you have joy because that's who you have. You see, it, it, it does not depend on the weather. It does not depend on the environment. It does not depend on the soil. It doesn't even depend on whether or not you are bearing the fruit at the moment. But you are a joy tree because the fruit of the Spirit, if the Spirit resides in you, then you automatically have joy. That's why I like that song that says we're going into deeper waters and we're stirring up deep, deep wells. Because this topic I'm talking about this morning that I'm about to get into, it's something that we may have to dig a little bit deep within ourselves and our relationship with God to really start living in the joy that God has given us. You see, if you look at our society, if you look at our political structure, and my wife says, don't get up there and talk politics. I'm not, because I hate politics. I'm sorry, there's that word. I dislike politics. I dislike it from the pulpit. I really do. But at the same time, Our political structure, no matter if you're right, left, in between, front, back, up, down, it's messed up right now. 
Our society, we're calling evil good and good evil. Our society, it's messed up right now. And even, even your own opinions on, on any matter, you name it, it's probably not necessarily lined up with the word of God because it's probably not coming, up, coming, coming out with love and with joy, but it's coming out from political gain and what I can control. So we got to be careful when we start amen and stuff like that as well. But listen to me. I want to talk to you this morning about true joy. We are at a place where, where uh, mental illness is running rampant. This is where I start peeling back the layers to the ugly stuff of my life. I have been in a place for the past couple of months where I have not had joy. And I know that's hard to believe because I'm a goofball here. I love to joke. I love to pay pranks. I'm one of the first ones that will hug your neck, that will love on you, that will cry with you. But I have been in a place in my own life where I have not been living a life full of joy. My wife can tell you I am I have been one of the most miserable people when I come home from work. I've been one of the most miserable people when I have to get up and go to church in the mornings. I am one of the most miserable people here, like, here in the past several a couple of months. 40 million adults, that's 20% of the U.S. population, struggle with mental illness, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, etc. That's 2 out of 10 people. If I was to go count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 to 10, two of you in this, in, uh, out of the 10 would have it. If there is 100 people in this room, 20 people would have some kind of a, a mood or a mental illness. That's the only way you can describe it is a mental illness. It gets crazier. 30% of youth or adolescents, 13 to 18, suffer from depression or anxiety. That means 3 out of 10. If I was to get 10 young people up on this stage, I guarantee you three of them, if not more, would struggle with some form of anxiety or depression. First, let me say this. Disagree with me. Don't disagree with me. I love you anyway. You're still my brother and my sister in Christ. But mental illness, depression, anxiety, and worry is not a sin. I know you may have grew up in the old school, I knew you may have grown up in the past where if you're struggling with something like that, it's, just, it's not a sin. Illness, sickness is not a sin. Sin is a willful, conscious, intentional, deliberate action against the commands and the will of God. Philippians 4.11 says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, and that state does not mean Texas or it does not mean Florida. It means whatever state of mind, whatever state of being that I am in. I have learned therewith to be content. In other words, sadness and sorrow and emotions are not a sin. However, the actions that result from that is what becomes a sin. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if you struggle with depression or anxiety, number one, I'm here with you. Number two, it's not a sin. Paul tells us that in spite of our emotions, we are to have joy and rejoice. Happiness, I said before, is not joy, and joy is not happiness. What's the difference? Number one, hap happiness, it's in its name. Happiness is based on what happens. In other words, I'm happy because. I'm happy because this happened to me. That's why it's called happiness. It's in the name. It sounds like it. Joy isn't constant. In other words, joy is always there. Joy exists because. Joy just exists. And you exist inside of joy, and joy exists. It's a fruit 
of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is what gives you joy. Your joy is found in the Spirit. I'm going somewhere with this. Disney, Pixar had a movie that came out a couple years ago called Inside Out. Anybody ever seen that movie, Inside Out? Watch it. It's a cartoon, but it will change your life if you watch it. I promise you. And there's these, and, and there's basically four or five emotions, and it goes inside this little teenage girl's head, and there's these emotions that they're at a control panel, and joy is there, and joy is supposed is leading the control panel, and then you have anger, and anger sometimes will take over joy's control panel, and anger gets kind of away from her a little bit. Well, then there's disgust, there's fear, fear will take over sometimes and get a little bit. But then there's this little blue, slow, little old girl, and she's, she's depression or sadness. And then sometimes she'll lean up against the control panel, and sadness and depression will take over. You see, we have these controls that God has built into our DNA, that God has built into our emotions to guide us in our, in our walk with Him. There's such a thing in the Bible as righteous anger. The Bible tells us to be angry. And sin not. So there's something that there's something biblical and there's something with anger. Sorrow is there for a reason. Sorrow has a place in our life. Grief has a place in our life. But no matter what emotion is at the control, joy should always be at the center. Uh, uh, Paul told them, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is the act of having joy. It's a physical outward manifestation of having joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. So that means be angry, but rejoice. Grieve, but rejoice. Be disgusted with sin and where things are at, yet rejoice. Be fearful. It's okay to have some worry there, but joy knowing where your help comes from. So how can I have joy? This is really what I want to get to. How can I have joy? You don't know what I'm going through. You're right, and I really don't want to know what you're going through. Because I can barely keep up with what I'm going through. But there's one thing I know. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, says this. But I would rather you should understand that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. It says, And many of the brothers of the Lord, waxing or growing cold in their confidence by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the words without fear. If you skip down Philippians 1 verse 20, it says, According to my expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or death. So, how can I have joy? Number one, understand this. God will use your circumstance to be magnified. Don't worry about being defeated. Because you're not going to be defeated. God's going to be victorious. Know that in des despite the score, you don't have to worry because God is already going to win the battle. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that I can have joy knowing that despite what it looks like, despite the odds that are stacked against me, despite the economy, despite what my boss is saying about my work performance, 
despite what the school is saying about my kids' behavior, despite what's going on around me, despite the pandemic, despite death, despite politics, despite everything, despite what my spouse is saying that they want a divorce, despite any of this stuff, despite all of that, God is going to use my circle, whether in life or whether this thing kills me. God is going to use my circumstances for victory, to turn something around. I may never lift the trophy. My kids may end up lifting the trophy. My kids may get, may get the victory. My gener- my, the next generation may be the free generation. But I can have joy even in my suffering knowing that God is going to get the glory. So number one, in, in my circumstances, I can still have joy. The second thing, why can I have joy? Look around you. You are not the best. But you're certainly not the worst. Philippians 2, 4 through 11 says this. It says, look not every man to his own things, but look every man also onto things of others. In other words, look at other people around you. Let his mind be in you, which also is in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and look upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even Jesus had perspective. Even Jesus in his suffering on the cross said he thought it not robbery to be counted equal or not equal of God. As equal to God the Father as he is, he counted it not robbery to have to lower himself, to humble himself, to become human flesh, human bones, get on a cross, die for us, be whipped for us, be spat on for us, be just totally desecrated for you and I. He is God, yet he says, you know what? I will do this. I will leave my throne of glory. I will come down. I will be humiliated, defeated, go through literally just... Anyway, I will go through the worst of the worst. Think about us. My son's on a football team. And you bench one of those boys and put another kid in at, at a position. These kids, Brother Leon, you know, these kids get firing mad when they're benched. They get mad. You're taking my spot away. I'm the starting safety. I'm the starting quarterback. I'm the starting running back. Yet, when things come our way, sometimes we think we're too good for it. Look around you. You are not the best, but you are certainly not the worst. Look at your circumstance. As bad as your circumstance is, there is a lot more of people that are worse off than you are. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that there's people that are worse off. You don't believe me? Go into downtown Tampa. My aunt is here. And my aunt goes on the streets in downtown Tampa. Not only does she point them to shelters, she takes people into her home. And feeds them off the streets. And they haven't had a bath yet. 
Think about it. And my aunt, I, I don't mean to embarrass you. I'm not going to point her out. But my aunt, she's not in the bed. She's not, like, wealthy. My family is not wealthy at all. We're poor. My family, we're just a bunch of poor old farmers from Indiana. But yet, there's somebody that's worse off than she is. And she knows even in her condition, she can help somebody else. So how can I have joy? Realize that there's somebody else worse than I am. That'll get you joy right there. Well, I'm sick. Well, there's somebody else who's dying. Well, I'm poor. Yeah, well, guess what? Your air conditioning is working in your house. How poor are you? Oh, I have to order off the dollar menu at McDonald's. Well, there's not a dollar menu. It's more like a $1.75 menu now. Now, you want to protest? Let's protest that. Anyway, I'm poor. I, I, well, there's somebody who's digging through the trash can, scraping the cheese off the wrapper that you just threw away. You see, I can have joy because I know that I may not be the best, but I'm certainly not the worst. Well, isn't that conceited? No. Because what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that knowledge? You're counting that joy and it's edifying you and building you up in the faith to now you can actually do what Christians should do, which is spread that joy. You see, because when fruit falls off a tree and the seedlings fall off of a tree, another tree is always planted. Now, whether that tree grows, that's not the seed's business. That's not the, it's not the job of the fruit and the seeds to grow itself, right? Somebody has to come along and water and till the soil and get it ready. But we can have joy knowing that no matter what we are, we have humility enough to know that I'm not the best, but I'm certainly not the worst. You're struggling with something today. You're struggling with depression, and you think all hope is lost, and, and I'm just the worst. And I'm, You are not the worst. I promise you you're not the worst. Well, somebody has to be the worst. Yeah, you're right, but I guarantee you it's not you. Point number three, grief. I'm sad. You don't know what I've lost. I've lost my husband. I've lost four of my kids. I've lost all my brothers and sisters. I'm the only survivor they've got left. I'm all that, that, that I have in my family. I'm lost. I've lost everything I have. Grief, depression. Philippians chapter 2, 17 through 19 says this. <clears throat> It says, Yea, and if I be offered unto the sacrifice and service of the faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. But I trust the Lord to send Timothy shortly unto you that I know that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. If he goes on into verse 25 and says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you that guy, Epaphroditus to my brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger that he and he that ministered to my wants for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because um, you heard that he had been sick for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only him only, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him, that you may rejoice, that I may be the less sorrowful. In other words, what he's saying is, yes, you may be experiencing loss, but I'm going to give you somebody to help restore your joy. Think of people that you've lost in your life. 
your mother, your father, your spouse, your children. Yet God has always brought somebody else into your life, not to fill their shoes, not to replace them, but to make you just a little bit less sorrowful, just to bring you a companion, just to bring you somebody, just to bring you fellowship. You see, God will never leave you alone. No one can take the place of Paul here. Paul was saying, look, when I go, no matter what happens to me, whether I'm in prison for the rest of my life, whether I die and I never come and see you guys again, you're going to be sorrowful. You're going to be crying. But I've asked God to send somebody to you, whether it be Timothy, whether it be Captain E over here, no matter who it be, I pray that God would send somebody to you. Just not that you wouldn't have grief. He says, but that you would have what? Less sorrow. You see, God has given you a church family here that no matter what loss comes your way, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to miss them. It's okay to put that that sad song on that makes you just think about them and squall like a baby. It's okay. It's okay to do that. But realize that God has put people in your life that you would not be alone. And even those times where you feel alone because pastor won't answer his phone or or Pastor Courtney won't answer her phone, or Eric didn't sing that one song that I like, or, or Pastor Daryl wasn't smiling at church today, or, or something, you, know, you just feel alone. We get those places, and it's reality. Don't sit here and look at me like I've never felt that way, because I know you have, because I felt that way. I sat in the car with my family being in the car and still felt alone. I sat in the middle of church with everybody getting the Holy Ghost up here, shouting and singing, and felt like I was all alone in an empty building. The Holy Spirit will never leave you comfortless. The Holy Spirit will be inside of you when nobody else says, I can have joy because I know that I'm not alone. And if you feel you're alone, just remember that there is a band of angels camp all around you. There is angels that are watching over you. There is angels guiding you. Jesus himself has sent his spirit that you may not be alone. That enough is enough to get me joy until the next time. Just to, And you may have to dig, like the song says, we may have to dig into that deep well to get there. Finally, in verse 4, or number 4 in Philippians 3, 17 through 21, The last way, the fourth way that you can always ensure that you are walking and having joy, be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. Philippians 3, 17 through 21. It says, brothers, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is in their is their belly whose glory is in their shame and who mind earthly things for our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In other words, I can't find joy. Then quit looking at the world. Quit looking at miserable people. 
Quit listening to miserable people. Find the people who are walking in joy. Find the brother Paul Daniels and sister Jeanette Waldens. Find those saints in the church that seem to always just have joy. They always have that smile on their face. That you know they're probably not feeling well. You know they're not, not, not doing well. Or you know this or you know that. You know they've lost somebody. They've lost, but yet they always are smiling. They are always encouraged. Mark those people because those are your example of joy. Get your mind off of things that you can't change. You want to quit worrying? Quit worrying. Think about it. You don't want to worry about your finances? Quit thinking about your finances. You want to quit worrying about what your neighbors are doing and they're violating the homeowners association rules? Quit thinking about it. Quit looking over at their yard. You want to quit worrying about your kids not cleaning their rooms? Quit going in their rooms. No, I'm just <laughs> Don't do that. You need to go in their rooms. Clean your room when you get home, Noah. But think, think about that. A lot of times we, we're attracted to negativity. I guess it's just in ourselves. Pastor always taught me that. He says, quit work. Because I used to, when I was a kid, teenager, we would, all these kids would come to our youth groups, right? And we had the best youth group. We always did. Our youth group was always the best. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. It's okay. You can disagree. You can be wrong. But we had the best youth group. We had the best facilities. We were in like this single-wide construction portable trailer. Sixty kids in that little single-wide construction portable trailer. Pastor Eric, you can go ahead and come up to the keyboard. Sixty kids. Seventy kids sometimes. But yet, we had the best facilities. Pastor would go to this store that if anybody knew he was a pastor going into the store, they would like, probably vote him out of the district, but to buy the black lights and, and, and all the coolest stuff that we could possibly have for our youth ministry. The coolest. And then we got, um, he got an offer to go to another church as our youth pastor. I went with them. We had this huge TV studio that was converted into a youth building. I mean, it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, churches should be, want this as their sanctuary. It was the coolest thing ever. But then all of a sudden, I would look to other churches and see what they had and start comparing and be like, Pastor, we don't have this. We don't have that. And Pastor taught me a long time ago, quit looking at what other people have because you don't know what it took for them to get it. And then you don't know the problems that they have behind those doors. But if you want to see a church that is moving forward, look at the church who love each other, who's deacon board and board is not working against the pastor or whose deacon board is supporting the ministry look at the church to where people aren't depending on the pastor to go see them in the hospital because the people in the church are caring about each other and they're going to see each other in the hospital or at home look for the church to where there's not competition in the pulpit look for the church who the, the, the media team is not always bickering and fighting with the worship pastor and the worship pastor bickering with the media team. Look for the church where souls are being saved. Where real life problems, not like the fake problems. Come on, we know what I'm talking about. Where real life problems are being dealt with in the altar. Not like this holy, oh, I just want to be closer to Jesus. Where addictions are beginning to fall. Where depression is beginning to break 
where people bound by anxiety are being free. Find those places. Find those people. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. Paul says, those are the people that you set the example. Not the miserable people. Not the miserable Christians who their God is their belly, but yet they put Jesus as their... Not, not the miserable Christians who walk around angry and bitter and defeated and disgusted. Who wear the label Christian, but yet their fruits doesn't really portray it. But put your mind on the people and look after the people who have the joy. Who are you looking at this morning? I want to repeat one of the scriptures I read earlier because I believe it's so important. Not that I, it's Philippians 4, 4, or Philippians 4, 11. Not that I speak in respect of any want. For I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. We know what abound means. Abound, you know, give you life and a life more abundantly. To abound, it means to just revel in excess, to just live life to the fullest, to have whatever we want and need. But what is based mean? Abased. Abased means to live in a place of need or bitterness or strife or want or humility. What Paul is saying that I know how to live when times are good, Yet God has also made me learn how to live when things are tough, when things are rough, when I'm not feeling saved, when I'm not feeling happy, when I'm not feeling grief, when I don't feel like joking around, when I don't feel like being around people. He says, in all things, everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be both full and hunger. How many know it's okay to be hungry? Because sometimes you can't eat from the bread of life unless you're hungry. Sometimes you don't drink from the well unless you're thirsty. Because sometimes it's not that you're full, it's you're fat. I know this. (laughs) There's a lot of fat people in the church. I know how to abound and I know how to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, we like that verse, but we don't, none of us could really quote that verse before. I couldn't until I started studying this quote, the verse that was before that, that says, I know how to be full and I know how to be hungry. I know how to be abound and be abased. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me is not a victorious statement per se. That's a statement where you're speaking in spite of. Oh, you can say I can do things when you don't need Jesus. You can always say I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But get into a place where you can't do anything without Jesus. And can you still trust in that statement? And as you stand across this building, verse 19, Philippians chapter 4 says, But my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. How can I have joy? Because I know that no matter what circumstance I'm in, I can't do nothing about it. 
but I know who can. There's an old song that says, I don't know who holds my future, but I know who holds my hand. You're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here this morning and you say this, you say, Pastor Darrell, I can honestly say that I have not been walking in a place of joy. That I have been walking in my emotions and I have not been walking in my joy. Not that you don't have joy. We all have joy. I told you that. We all have joy. If you're saved in this place, you have joy. You're here and I could just pray for, pray with you. Lift your hands. One, two, three. Lift them up. I could just pray for you to have joy. Joy. Give me joy. Give me joy. Give me joy. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, Lord, and I pray over this place. Lord, I pray that as we walk in you, as we walk our lives out, God, Lord, that we get in these places, God, that we feel lost, we feel heavy, we feel burdened, we feel discouraged, we feel defeated, God. We feel anxious, we feel worried. We feel like giving up. The truth be told, we just felt like calling it quits. Lord, I pray right now that we would rejoice in knowing that with you all things are possible, that you will supply all of our needs. Lord, I pray that we would not look towards our emotions and our circumstances. But Lord, as David said, I will look to the hills for whence cometh my help, God. Lord, our help comes from you and you alone, God. Lord, I pray that you would restore the joy. Let us walk in true joy and true peace, God. Lord, and we're thankful for the emotion of happiness that will follow. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And I, amen.